All right, here we go with Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. So let's start with the family of fallen Vancouver police officer Nicole Chan. Now, this is the heartbreaking case. Listeners will remember she committed suicide in 2019. There was a very high-profile coroner's inquest into her death, and there were recommendations in there on how to uh, reform the system, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to notification of family and other caregivers if someone presents as suicidal to a doctor in a hospital. So this is this is interesting now because we have a private member's bill here coming from the Liberals, right? And uh, and the family of this police officer, this fallen police officer, is going to be there today. Yeah, so this is uh, Surrey South MLA Eleanor Sturkel, former RCMP officer who actually has a personal connection to these uh, two, uh, two suicides. Um, she's going to be submitting or tabling a private member's bill. And it's interesting, she's, I don't recall an opposition member getting this type of news coverage over a private member's bill before it's even introduced. Yeah. Which yeah. shows you how significant this is. So she's tabling a bill today, this afternoon, that would require medical practitioners, doctors and such, if they uh, commit someone into involuntary care, to reach out to their family to find out, to get more information. And so, um, and, and neither happened in either of these cases of Todd Marr and, and uh, Nicole Chan. Uh, so they're going to have family members from both of those people are going to be present with her today at the BC legislature, a little more than an hour, or a little more than an hour from now, actually. Um, now, it's a private member's bill, which, you know, standard boilerplate copy is private member's bills rarely pass the legislature. They just go nowhere. They're introduced and that's it, basically. But... And I'm not saying her bill is going to pass because the governments are reluctant to pass opposition bill because it hasn't gone through the legal vetting process and that type of thing. But the NDP, I think, government is on the same page here right. as Eleanor Sturkel because the issue of involuntary care and everything that surrounds that has come to the fore. And, in fact, the NDP, before the 2020 election, when they had that uh, small majority, tried to pass legislation that would – um, commit young people to involuntary care under the Mental Health Act, but it was blocked by the uh, BC Green Party. Yeah, when they had that three that sort of on a coalition, but a, um, a CASA a Confidence and Supply Agreement. Now uh, the Liberals are bringing this forward. The Liberal position on this has evolved, as is the NDP on the whole notion of involuntary care under the Mental Health Act and things that go with that. So Eleanor Sturkel today. Uh, tabling that bill, already getting um, a lot of publicity. Good story. We had a story on last night by Romina Dea. We've got Katie yeah. DeRosa in the Vancouver Sun today. Yep. Um, a very interesting and compelling issue. Yeah, it really is. And I think the involvement of uh, Nicole Chan's family here is is key to to the interest because this this police this police officer the night before she took her own life, she had been apprehended under the Mental Health Act. Uh, she was assessed at Vancouver General Hospital and then released mm-hmm. after about 80 minutes. So one of the recommendations that came out of the coroner's report was there should be wider consultation. You should be consulting with their family. You should be consulting with uh, other officials uh, on this before someone is released. Uh, so the, that will the be other, in the private member's bill. And the other family that will be here is, is the family of Todd Marr, okay. who also took his, his own life. And his mother, uh, again, giving an interview to Katie DeRosa, um, Basically, the, the the hospital did not reach out to her, and she could have provided them with information just how what a serious situation he was in. This wasn't just a you know a isolated incident. Yeah, they did not reach out to her because that were not compelled to, and that's where Sturco's law is aimed at: is ensuring that other people are are informed about 
a person's situation. Let's listen quickly here to Gloria Ng, who is the lawyer for the family of Nicole Chan. Have a listen. The whole point of the inquest was to show that uh, Nicole never wanted to be a victim. She found herself in that way. And how can we help her stop being a victim? And so what we're hoping uh, comes out of this today is that these recommendations will truly be listened to uh, and that action will actually flow from it. Okay, so I agree with you. It is interesting to see a private member's bill from the opposition getting this kind of attention today. Uh, I suspect maybe the the government will be maybe bringing in legislation of their own along the same lines. It's not unheard of for a government to um, basically redraft an op- a private member's bill and bring in legislation um, that they've authored. And we've seen that before. We've seen that the BC Liberals did that with some NDP bills. The NDP's done that with some BC Liberal bills. doesn't happen very often. But I think you've got a convergence of opinion here between the opposition and the government on, again, on this evolving issue of involuntary care. It's, so it's, uh, it's, you know, Kevin Falcons talked about it. David Evie's talked about it. Uh, this was even never discussed a decade ago. You just weren't allowed to go there. Yeah. And now it's becoming more and more, I think, a part of uh, all political parties' positions, with the exception of the Green Party. Let's talk about the, the spending that's going on by the government. They were sitting on that big mountain of uh, money here and that surplus in the previous budget and a lot of money being shoveled out the door here. And you were, Inter- t- David Eby, talking to Global News about that yesterday. Interesting um, debate that's going on in the House right now. They're not debating legislation. They're debating what are called supplemental estimates. This is spending over and beyond the budget that was approved last uh, last year. Uh, and it's for the current fiscal year, which expires just a f- couple weeks from now, March 31st. If they don't spend the surplus, by law, it has to go against the debt. The liberals are arguing don't spend the surplus. Now, basically their argument is don't spend the surplus, put it against the debt. But there are also arguments in the House right now is you, you, there's no rhyme or reason for the spending. It's, there's no, it hasn't gone through the usual rigorous Treasury Board process. Um, and I've listened to the debates, and a lot of um, the ministers can't really explain uh, on a detailed basis why the number was arrived at. Why is there... Why is there $100 million, $150 million in agriculture? Like, how do you break that down? <laughs> and the ministers can't really do that. Um, or to come up, why did he come up with, with $500 million for ferries? Why did, how did you come up with a billion dollars for municipalities? The yeah. numbers all sound nice and rounded, um, <laughs> but there's no real um, articulation coming from the ministers about how, why the number was arrived at and exactly how is it going to work. But again, on the, that's, so that's a process argument. Yeah. The political argument from, from the government side is give this money back to the people. And they're hoping that is much more popular a move with the electorate than a process argument about retiring the debt. You talked earlier about how the Liberals, uh, before one crucial election, had paid down a lot of debt money. Yeah, before, the, 2017, before the 2017 election, I remember the press yeah. guy, we were in Mike DeYoung's office, the finance minister at the time, and he was proudly talking about how they're paying, taking the surplus and paying down the debt. This was on the eve of the election. And we were all saying, really? You don't want to spend some of that on people? Yeah. They could have retired the tolls. On the bridges. I remember there was speculation, would they reduce the sales tax? Yeah. And stuff. they had a lot of money they were saving. Well, if you recall, the election may have turned on the fact the NDP promised to get rid of the tolls right. on the Portman Bridge. And that put yeah. into play a whole bunch of ridings that swung the NDP's way. Because it was basically a $1,500 gift to all the drivers. Yeah. Uh, the Liberals could easily have done that yes. on the eve of that 2017 election. Um, it's not unheard of playing politics with largesse. And I got to wonder, with the NDP giving a billion dollars to municipalities, you don't think that's going to come back um, as an election issue? That probably will work from it. And they're probably going to take out, a, craft a campaign ad 
And you're already seeing this on Twitter from caucus MLAs tweeting about how the liberals oppose spending money on cancer treatment. Yeah, yeah. You know, that. even though they're arguing, look at this is we're not against that. We're arguing the process. But in an election campaign, that process argument may disappear. Let me get your thoughts on the Justin Trudeau situation with the continuing reports on Chinese state meddling in elections. We got another report from Global News reporter Sam Cooper here in the last 24 hours on this. Mm -hmm. Again, he's looking at internal secret documents outlining, in this this case of this report, the Chinese government funneling money to election campaigns in Canada. The water is getting deeper here for Trudeau here. This is getting this is getting tougher. Have a listen to Charles Burton here. He was on yesterday's show. Uh, he thinks this could bring the Trudeau government down. Have a listen to this. By not allowing for a public inquiry with someone who has full access to all the confidential information and the ability to subpoena people to, to testify under oath, if the prime minister is not going for that, uh, then well, I think that it really marks the beginning at the end for the Trudeau prime ministership. Yeah, so I've heard other analysts say this is different from the We Charity scandal. This is different from the Agacon. This one, maybe this is the one that's going to bring him down. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm not convinced this is a water cooler conversation yet in most um, workplaces. I don't yeah. think. I still think voters tend to vote with the pocketbook yeah. rather than anything else. Uh, people said the same thing about SNC-Lavalin. This yeah, is going to yeah. bring down the government unless there's a public inquiry. The we scandal, unless there's a public inquiry, the government's going to fall. Uh, public inquiries are of limited scope. Uh, take, for example, the money laundering public inquiry. That did not result in anywhere near the outcome that people thought it was going to result in with people being charged and all sorts of things being discovered that weren't discovered before. So, um, And in this one, when you're talking about intelligence, uh, situation. I'm not convinced the public inquiry is going to have the ability to delve that far d- deep into the intelligence community when yeah. national security will probably trump a lot of the uh, efforts to get people to, compelled to testify. Okay, phone me on that if you like. I'm wondering the same thing too. Does this sort of move the needle when people decide how they're going to vote? Like, you know, I'm thinking about like a soft liberal voter, like someone who would typically vote for Trudeau. Is this is this story, this China's meddling story? Is that enough to make some of these liberal voters say, I'm, I'm not voting for Trudeau this time? Well, then who are they going to vote for? Well, That's the question. Do they stay home or do they vote for Poliev? Do they, for I Poliev? I mean, if you're a soft liberal voter, I, maybe? I'd be surprised. Hey, we were talking before the break there about the NDP spending the surplus instead of paying down the debt. Have a listen to Liberal leader Kevin Falcon on this point. Here's, here's Falcon. Instead of using some of that to responsibly pay down debt... Uh, or, you know, uh, deal with some other things. What did the NDP do with the surplus that they had last year, a one-time surplus? They've, they're trying to spend all of it. Okay, so he wouldn't be spending it if he was premier? Is that what he's trying to say there? He'd just pay Seems it all down to. in the debt? I, I think they would spend some of this. And by the way, yeah. the NDP, I'm told, is going to pay down. Some of it. Some of it. Yeah. I don't know how much. I'd be, I'm guessing $500 million. Maybe a billion. Yeah, I mean that's how much money they've got at their disposal. I mean, yeah. more, well more than five billion dollars. Uh, so, and I'm I'm expecting you know the buzz around here is TransLink's going to get some cash here. Okay, the mayors you know have been pressing that BC Ferries got a half a million, half a billion dollars, yeah. and certainly a valid argument. Well, if BC Ferries is getting five hundred million, why shouldn't TransLink, which serves way more people? Okay, let's go to the phone calls. Sharon and Burnaby. Hi, Sharon. Go ahead. Well, I think that we should be paying some of it towards the debt. I mean, they're telling us as consumers that we need to get rid of our credit card debt. 
or any other debt that we owe and be responsible, well, I mean, we're, we've elected the governments to be responsible as well. And I think the money, and with regards to this Chinese influence in the federal election, the public inquirer, as he said, is not going to be able to delve into stuff with regards to national security. I oh, think yeah. everybody's aware of it now. And I don't think that it played a large part in the results of the last election anyways. I mean, it ultimately comes down to the voter, and they voted for certain people. And, you know, I again, wasting more taxpayers' dollars on another oh. public inquiry, that probably isn't going to change any outcomes anyways, just like the money laundering. Okay, Sharon, thank you for a good call. Yeah, well, I'm on record as, for years not being a fan of public inquiries. I think yeah. they're, they're people attach way too much importance to them, think it's a panacea, it's going to solve all the problems, and very few public inquiries actually how do you, And how do you success. have a public inquiry into top-secret documents? Exactly. <laughs> I'm not sure how that how that's actually going to work. You're not going to put the head of CSIS on the stand and say, no. tell us, spill, that was your, everything. spill your guts on everything. Reveal all the agents you're using. Yeah, Rob and Ladner. Hey, Rob. Uh, they should pay down the debt. Um, you know, the press, the first caller said, like, you want to reduce your interest costs, right? And, um, you know, it's responsible to pay down the debt. Thank you. Well, the debt's not going to be paid down by any significant amount. So people um, don't realize. So the Patello Bridge, the Broadway subway line, the Massey Tunnel, whenever that gets going, all the all the schools, all the hospitals being built, all the roads being um, repaired and the highways and such – all of that is debt. Yeah. Every single it's all borrowed money. Every single dollar is debt. Yeah. So when people say get rid of the debt, well, does that mean you want to get rid of all that stuff that I just listed? Uh, and that's the price you pay when when it comes to building things. It's, debt is almost entirely infrastructure money. Yeah. Uh, it's not deficits. Our deficits have increased recently, so that that that's a different type of debt. But that's probably what's going to be paid down. But you just look at the government's fiscal plan. Uh, the debt by the end of the three-year fiscal plan is expected to be $134 billion because there's a $50 billion infrastructure program oh. over the next three years. And this it, it, it probably takes people's breath away to look at what debt represents. It's not deficits. It's building things, and that's the price you pay. Of course, the government will argue that this is debt that's backed by public ass, hard public assets like a highway or a hospital, mm-hmm. and they'll also look at the, the percentage of debt as it relates to its share of the economy, like g- debt-to-GDP ratio, and the government will consistently say, we can afford it, okay? Well, two, so- bo- two bond rating agencies, Moody's Investors and DBRSR, last week weighted in with an analysis of the budget and the fiscal plan, and they've concluded that debt is supportable, yeah, it's right. it's not triggering any alarms. Also, in this in this, I've got a column out this week in Glacier Media that pointed out that in this budget, in this fiscal plan, are billions of dollars of contingencies, unallocated money, five billion dollars in the coming year, almost five billion dollars, about fifteen billion dollars over three years of money that's just sitting there, not allocated to spend just in case you need it. And if it's not oh. spent, that's how a surplus suddenly occurs again. 